Welcome to Encounter. I get the honor of introducing Terry Fur to the stage, man. She is a pastor at the Refuge. She is a friend of this house. And I'll know a couple of things about Terry. She hears the voice of the Lord and she knows the heart of the Father. And I know that she's been listening to hear what he wants to say to us tonight. So get your pens out and your papers ready because it's going to be good tonight. So Terry, come on. We're ready for you. Hey, gathering. It's going to be good tonight because the Lord has things on his heart. I don't want to bore you with details, but it just makes me feel better to say it. Um, I, I thought that we were going a different direction tonight, and, and I believe that there are a lot of things on God's heart concerning those that are gathered here tonight. Uh, but early this morning, um, he shifted my direction. Maybe I was just listening better. I'm not sure. But, you know, when you go to a place once a year or periodically, you, you know, maybe, maybe seven or eight times this year it'll be. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> 10, 15. <laughs> yeah, next Sunday. Because of the Selfish series. Thanks a lot, Pastor Paul. <laughs> I need it too. Uh, you don't necessarily want to bring a message like this, uh, but I really believe that this is strongly on God's heart. We're just going to let him do his work. I love this church. I love pastors Paul and Wendy, Bridget, the whole team, and I really do count it an honor to be here with you on a Monday night. I have some really dear friends with me here today. All of them are very strong in the Lord and our prophetic voices in this hour, uh, one of which I have had the privilege of traveling with for many years, and you've probably heard me quote her in the times that I've been here, but Dawn Swigert, this is her first time here at the gathering. Um, yeah, but I believe the Lord's going to use her tonight as well. Uh, but we're going to talk about what it means. I know I have the, the women's conference video that's taking place in October. We're not going to show that. Just come, ladies. It's going to be incredible. October 3rd and 4th, Tammy uh, Waltz that's here will be one of our worship leaders, Catherine Mullins, a lady by the name of Amy Dockery who is incredible. Make sure you come. Are you guys already registered, any of you? Okay, good. All of you. Awesome. Every single one of you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you're now registered in Jesus' name. But as I was praying about my time with you, uh, the Lord just began to make it very clear, and I mean through many different ways, uh, that he's speaking about this in this hour. He, he gave me a dream on Friday. I was sharing it with the ladies on the way here, and still somehow I didn't know that it's the word that he would have me bring here, but there was actually even a building in the dream that kind of looks like the building on this street. I won't get into all of it, but the Lord is faithful to confirm things. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about overcoming the Jezebel spirit. Are you excited? Yeah. <laughs> in Revelation chapter 1, John begins to talk about this vision that he sees of Jesus. We're not going to get into that chapter right now, but it's a great place. For those of you that 
are, are maybe intimidated by the book of Revelation, start with, with Revelation chapter 1 and just contemplate the attributes of Jesus, the coming one, and you will be less intimidated by the book. John begins to describe his voice. He can't even really describe it. He says it's like a trumpet. It's like the sound of many waters. He can't even bring full definition to it. But there was something about the quality of Jesus' voice that caused John in Revelation 1.12 to say, I had to turn to see the voice. So he turns to see the voice, and we learn in verse 16 that what he sees when he turns to see the voice is, uh, in verse 16 it says, he sees out of his mouth a sharp, double-edged sword. We know according to Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It will divide the soul from the spirit. And how many of you know we need that when it comes to receiving the word of God? We need those things in the soulish realm, our own ideas to be separated from the spirit man that his word may fully uh, come to fruition and we may fully hear it in the beauty uh, of how it's spoken out of the mouth of God. We know according to James 1 that the word of God instructs us so here John turns to see the voice and he sees this sharp double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of the Son of Man. And we know that that, word has, that, that sword that is a, a symbol of the word has every ability to do what it was sent to do. Those who will be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? That means those that aren't entertained by the truth. Those that want to actually do the truth, right? Actually respond to the truth. James instructs us, don't just be hearers. Be doers. And he says that if you refuse to just uh, be a hearer, like if you have a resolve to be a doer, then you will keep yourself from being deceived. It actually says that you will be kept from deceiving yourself. In other words, we can try to hear the truth and respond on a surface level, but then we are operating in a deception that the Lord, that is not part of his dream for us. We, we can become like those who look in the mirror, and then when we walk away, we forget what we saw in the mirror. Now, for the ladies in the house tonight, how many of you know sometimes you want to forget what you saw in the mirror? Especially when you're in those dressing rooms and there's mirrors on every angle and you're like, I didn't even know that was there. And you quickly get dressed and run out of the dressing room and say, I want to forget what I just saw. Well, we often approach the word of God the same way. The mirror shows us those things that maybe we didn't know were there or those needs that are in those parts of us that are in need of some work. And if we approach the word with every intention of doing it, not just hearing it then we will not forget what we saw, that we may continually surrender, not feeling terrible about how we look, but receiving hope in the one that can change everything. So Lord, we thank you for your word that is living and active. 
We thank you that it is your power unto salvation. We love your gospel. We love your story. And I pray, God, that there would not be a single heart that is resistant to your word, including myself, God. I want to fully hear what you're saying right now with the intention of doing something, something in my life changing and being transformed as a result of what you share with us tonight. So, Lord, have your way and do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the blessing of the word comes when we look intently, James 1 says, into the perfect law of freedom. Not being a forgetful hearer, but being an effective doer. And that's what we are in Jesus' name. We're instructed still in James 1 to humbly receive the word planted inside of us. Why? Because it will save our souls. The word of God is not just to inspire us and give us chicken soup for the soul. The word of God is salvation for our very souls. Sometimes the word of God offends our flesh, but it's not so that we feel condemned and terrible. It's that our spirits might live, that that we actually begin to walk into the life that we never dreamed possible. But But it's possible in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, speaking of Israel's past and their wanderings, it says, these things took place as an example To keep us from craving evil things as they did. In other words, look at Israel and see where their uh, indulgences of their flesh got them. Those things that we want to keep hidden because the light makes us feel uncomfortable. Yet there's destruction coming to our lives that none of us are cunning enough or smart enough to avoid outside of the word of God. We want the word of God to do its work. And even with these harder things that we have to look at in our lives, we love his word more than we love what we want, right? Let's, let's in our hearts, tell the Lord that. In Revelation chapter 2, We read of a letter written to the church in Thyatira, and this is uh, one of the most profound spots in Scripture where the Jezebel spirit is addressed. So we're going to read it tonight. Revelation 2, starting with verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, I forgot to give you guys a little fun opening story or joke. Sorry about that. Maybe at the end, if you're good. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. This is what he's saying to the church in Thyatira. I know your love and faith, your service and perseverance. And I know that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways." 
I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then in Luke 10, verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. When I just read that part about all the, part of the, all the power of the enemy, my heart started beating in my chest. I'm talking about generations back. I'm talking about in light of all the things you've seen and all the things you've done. He has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. Let me tell you a little bit about Thyatira just to give you some context. Thyatira is was found in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and it was a commerce. The commerce of that city was built around various guilds, like textiles and metal. You know, Lydia, in, in, in one of the first converts in Europe, had the purple textile. She was from Thyatira. Thyatira was a city of trade unions, so depending on what the trade was, they had these separate unions, and if you weren't part of the union, you didn't have a job, and these unions required their workers to attend feasts or worship services to Apollos, the god Apollos, the son of Zeus. They were idolatrous feasts, obviously, with lots of drunkenness and immorality. And if you wanted to keep your job, you went to the feast. And if you said no, you lost your job. It was a point of real pressure. And Jezebel was telling uh, those that were part of the trade unions, that were part of the church, it's okay. You don't have to abstain from worshiping Apollos. Jezebel was all about the mixture. She said, it's okay. And the Lord was saying, no, you tell the church in Thyatira, if they stick with me, I'll give them a better job. They're going to rule the nations with me. Tell them that. Let them receive encouragement in that. There might be a little delay till they get there, but it'll be worth it. And this is in the midst of great affirmation to the church in Thyatira. There were issues in the city, and the Lord addressed the church. Come on, Albemarle. There's issues in the city, but the Lord speaks to the church. Why? Because we are the lampstand in the midst of the darkness. He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patience. I even know your endurance through persecution. And I actually have noticed that you're doing more for me now than you did at first, which is the opposite of what he said to the church in Ephesus. So they're receiving great accolades from the Lord. He's commending their high level of commitment. He's saying, you really love Jesus, but you have a significant blind spot. And I'm not saying this as some authority, although I have been released by your pastors. Nod your heads right now. That would be good. Thanks. <laughs> Wendy, a little more than that. Okay, great. 
the Lord comes in mercy to say, you guys are doing really well in many areas, but there's a blind spot that I want to open up for you today, and it's for the sake of freedom and because of love, and I believe he's saying it to the gathering church today. He said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. It's that whisper in the ear that says, well, you're doing better than some people, and it's really not that big of a deal if you indulge your flesh in these different ways. Here's the thing. Jesus sees the whole truth. He sees how much you love him. Even those that come to correct you maybe don't see the intensity of your love for him. He actually sees that, but he also sees your compromise. He sees it all. And in his mercy and kindness, he commends the love that you have for him. But he says, I cannot excuse or dismiss your compromise. He's saying, I'm not mad at you, but I'm committed to you. And I'm committed to your greatness, so I'm going to speak straightforward to you and tell you that your light will go completely out if you don't deal with this thing. And the issue against... The main issue I believe that, that Jesus is addressing is tolerance. He says, I have this against you. You tolerate it. Now, in the Bible, there's two different Jezebels. There's an Old Testament Jezebel. There's a New Testament Jezebel. And they are two different women, but they operate under the same spirit. When we find the spirit Jezebel in the church, it's an operation under this same spirit. It it played out in the early church the same way it plays out today, even though our context is a little different based on our culture and what is unique to our cities and, and where we live. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Jezebel has one goal, and that's that we would defile ourselves. Inwardly, through sexual immorality, outwardly through food sacrificed to idols, and and the immorality and defilement, listen to me, and the guilt that follows it shuts people down in the power of God. And he wants to reactivate us tonight. I'm telling you, the dream that I had, it was specifically about this spirit, and I was being addressed by the Lord. But I believe that there is something that he is after that will ignite us in a new power. That dismissive thing where we just tolerate that voice and we think, well, we're not doing as bad as we could be doing. And we're justifying the choices that are being made. And it has to do with sexual immorality, but it also has to do with the food sacrificed to idols. Why is that significant? Well, in Acts 15, when uh, there was a, the Jewish council gathered, uh, they gathered there because there were Gentiles that were being converted, and, and the Jerusalem council was saying, do they need to be sanctified through circumcision, or should we make it easier for them? And so that's the discussion. Should we require the Gentiles to be circumcised for them to be true converts of God? And they came to the conclusion they do not have to be circumcised, but this is a non, these are the non-negotiables. They must fully avoid sexual immorality, food polluted by idols, and, meat strangle, and the meat of strangled animals from, from blood. And Jezebel said, that's the one thing that qualifies you. I'm going to lead you to defile yourself so that you become disqualified. 
She wanted them defiled. Why? Because immorality dulls the spirit. This mixture, uh, it, it, our spirit becomes dull, and then we open doors to all kinds of things that we never thought we'd be open to before. And it eventually leads to a seared conscience. That's her goal. We know that it can come through the door of pornography or even for women with social media, the, the emotional affair or the idea of a, of a better life in a different context. And we tolerate it because we do these things to kind of satisfy us for the moment, believing all the while that it's not going to the path of destruction that the enemy is working to bring it to. And it's that thing in our ear that we tolerate and say, okay, I... I, I I, I don't know how to change this, so I'm just going to make sure I, it doesn't go further than where it is. And I, I, I want you to hear me tonight. If I came to only tell you one thing, and I hate when people say that because I'm like, well, just say the one thing, and then we can go home and go to bed. So I don't know why I said it, but I already said it. So this one thing, you cannot change what you're unwilling to confront. And I'm telling you, if I am here to say one thing, it's that. We become so afraid to confront things because either the shame that we possess uh, these things in our, in our lives or because we don't feel like we could ever find true victory or maybe we don't want to leave those things. We have hope groups going on right now at the refuge and last night we launched our hope group semester and all throughout our church we had people meeting to overcome things that have been lifelong battles. In one of the rooms, seven men gathered to address uh, or to go after sexual integrity. And, and I'm sitting in the concourse watching the struggle. There, there was one guy that never came in. He sat out on the bench outside. We tried to get him to come in. He said, the war's too intense. This is how the enemy works. Where we just say, no, if I confront this, the, the, the atom bomb will go off in my house and I'll never be able to pick up the pieces. And that spirit, that Jezebel spirit keeps pulling us into this toleration of things that the Lord says, in a moment, I can bring complete victory and bring you to wholeness. And instead, we think we're, we're keeping our lives contained. And, and if we bring it to the light, it's going to just, if we bring things to the light, it's going to destroy everything. And it's a lie, and it leads to destruction. One of the primary virtues in our culture today is tolerance. That's not really a virtue. I just wanted to say it that way. It's, a, it's saying people can do what they want to do. We are living in a day of pro-choice on every level. We're tolerating the promotion of immorality, seduction into idolatry, and we are tolerating the removal of the prophetic voice because we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we're laying hold of those voices that tell us what our itching ears want to hear. And the reality is the Lord wants to bring life and love. But he's, he's not going to allow us to experience those things in their fullness as we tolerate these things that we want to stay in. So he gives a threefold warning to the church with ever-increasing intensity. You heard it. I don't want to... Uh, make this the focus of what we're talking about but there is a warning he says I'll make you sick I'll give you trouble and I will bring death if you don't listen to me but he, the reason why he says that is not for it to be this luminous thing he says it because he doesn't want greater trouble to come 
And he says, I, I'm, I'm exposing these things so that the churches will know that I'm the one that searches hearts and minds. And I will repay you according to your deeds. So who was Jezebel? We're first introduced to her in the Old Testament. She's the queen of Israel. She's the wife of King Ahab. That was her position anyway, but her passion was power in the spirit realm. That's what she wanted, power in the spirit realm. And she was a foreigner who brought paganism into Israel, Baal worship into Israel. And she was killing off all the true prophets of God. That's what the spirit of Jezebel does. Who are you to say that to me? Right? We need to kill off their voices. And when she went to great lengths to destroy the voices of the prophets. And then she placed around her table 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. What does that mean, she, she placed them around her table? It means that she hired them. They were employed by her. They sold their souls to her so that they could win political favor. Maybe, in, maybe you're not as involved in church government or in national government, but, but that's not even the point of what we're talking here. It's a, a talking about here. It's a desire for influence. And we, even an influence over our own lives where we want to be able to indulge in what we want to indulge in and have our choices and I'm not trying to belabor the point, but it's beyond just this governmental idea. Jezebel, in short, brought witchcraft to Israel. Witchcraft, what a big word, right? What a luminous word. But we know according to Galatians 5.19, witchcraft is listed as a work of the flesh. According to 1 Samuel 15, rebellion is, a, is as a sin of witchcraft. Manipulation is a sin of witchcraft. So while all the culture wars are raging around us and calling for tolerance... Will we commit to be the bride he desires? Will we commit to be the church that he longs for? Listen, I would rather be sharing a message with you, my flesh would, that is entertaining and makes you laugh and I don't know what else. I don't know what all would make me feel good. I don't know why I'm wired the way I am. But, but the reality is it is a knowledge of the truth that sets us free. I can't give you the knowledge, but I can introduce the truth. You decide whether it becomes that which a wisdom that you possess. We take a stand against this spirit and we refuse to tolerate it in ourselves. And we refuse to tolerate it in others. And as we consider what that means, we're going to look into the, li the, the life of Elijah. All of this comes out of 1 Kings 17 through 19. Then we'll talk a little bit about chapter 21, 22. Then on into 2 Kings 9. I don't know why I'm telling you all that, but you have a lot of reading to do. I don't know. But we're going to talk about the key uh, or, or, or the ways in which God calls us out of our tolerance and what we need to do to walk in that. But I'm going to kind of catch you up on the story. I'm not proposing that you don't already know the story, but just to get us all on the same page, we start in 1 Kings 17, and Elijah stands before King Ahab and prophesies a drought. And King Ahab, a few years into this, is really frustrated at uh, what, how this has manifested in his kingdom. The livestock is 
the livestock is about to die off. They, there's no water, which means there's not grass for them to be fed. And Ahab is really upset about it. And he's gone to many nations trying to find the whereabouts of Elijah. And he, he can't find him. He goes to the rulers of nations and says, is Elijah here? And when, and when they say no, he lets them know it'll be a penalty of death if they're hiding him. This is where we are in 1 Kings 17. When 1 Kings 18, we read, we're in the third year of the drought, and the Lord tells Elijah to present himself to Ahab. He said, go present yourself to Ahab, and afterwards, I'll let rain come. So, so Elijah's on his way to present himself to Ahab. Well, Ahab is with Obadiah. Obadiah is King Ahab's palace administrator. So King Ahab, Obadiah. They, they're looking for a place to feed their livestock because they're looking really rough. So King Ahab has a plan. He says, he says, I'll go this direction. Obadiah, you go that direction, and we'll try to find some patch of grass somewhere where we can feed uh, our livestock. So they split up kind of a divide-and-conquer type plan. And while Obadiah is doing his search, he and Elijah run into each other. And Elijah says, Obadiah, I need to see, present myself to King Ahab today. Tell him I'm here. And Obadiah says, why are you doing this to me? I, I don't want to tell him you're here. Because if I tell him you're here, the Spirit of God will uh, take you wherever he wills. And then when Ahab can't find you, he's going to kill me. I'm not going to do it. And Elijah says, no, I I'm going to present myself to Ahab just tell him I'm here and then Obadiah says well I love the Lord I, even when I was young I loved the Lord and I hid those prophets from Jezebel like I've done some stuff for God and I can just picture Elijah going okay well tell Ahab I'm here right <laughs> so eventually Obadiah brings report to Ahab Elijah's here Ahab says where is he they meet and Ahab says, oh, here comes, as, as Elijah's coming towards Ahab, Ahab says, oh, there's that troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, me? <laughs> You're the troubler of Israel. No, you are. No, you are. They kind of go back and forth. And then they decide, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to see whose God is most powerful. And so they, they order the contest. Ahab says, I've got 850 prophets of false gods. And they eat at Jezebel's table. And we're going to uh, have a contest between those gods and your God. And Elijah makes a statement in the midst of it in 1 Kings 18. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Baal is God, follow him. And I believe that there's a call going out among the body of Christ right now saying, how long will you waver? This mixture where we... We want to feel good about our eternal home, but we don't want people getting too much in our business. People, God, the Holy Spirit, we want to keep things in our own uh, preferences and wills. And he's saying, how long will you waver? If the Lord is God, follow him. I mean, follow him all the way. Follow him. So the contest begins. We know the, you know the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they're cutting themselves. They're frantically prophesying, and their gods don't answer. A longer story I'm going to make short. But as Elijah calls on his God, the fire of God falls and consumes his altar. All the peoples 
all the prophets of false god fall prostrate and they say the lord he is god the lord he is god and all of jezebel's prophets all 850 of them are killed in one moment on one day well in first kings 19 ahab tells jezebel everything this is what happened and all your boys are dead jezebel says oh yeah well send this she calls a messenger to herself she says go tell elijah this May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was so afraid he ran into the wilderness. This spirit will intimidate us, and that's what Jezebel comes to do. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. That Jezebel spirit, you, you have ideas of getting right with God and then dying. That's what that spirit comes and does because there's not a belief that there can be a true victory. How can Elijah, after seeing 850 prophets of false gods, lose in a contest, they're all killed in one day, and when that woman sends a message, he wants to die. Now don't be thinking about your wives right now, guys. This isn't okay. That was a joke, sort of. And this is where Elijah is. All these victories in God just moments before, and now he wants to die. How? Well, James 5.17 tells us how. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's how. He ran because he's just like you and me. And that's the power of this story. So we're going to talk about five things very briefly I know you don't believe me, but it will be somewhat brief. As God calls us out of our tolerance, we need to think, of, think on five things. Number one, he is a God that raises up Elijah. He is raising up Elijah's. He's raising up Elijah's that are sitting in this room. He's a God who raises up. He's a God who shows his glory through his church. Come on. He shows his power through his people, even in our brokenness and fear. God brought Elijah out of nowhere. And Elijah said, you go tell the king. Elijah's here. Elijah's aren't those, uh, are, are, let, me, let me just read it. Elijah's are those aren't the, who aren't led by the reality of their own weaknesses. Let me say that again. Elijah's are those who are not led by the reality of their weaknesses, but they are awed by the victory of God. So we're not led by our shortcomings or our failures. We're led by the glory of God. We are so distracted by our weaknesses, aren't we? We won't even declare who we are in him. When the hour came for Jesus to glorify the Father, he started saying, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the bread that comes from heaven. We've got to start to see the resplendent glory of this God we walk with because that's where our victory comes from, not from our ability to be strong enough or focused enough. And I came here tonight to tell you this. Stop living in what people have said against you. Well, these ladies can testify this about my life. I don't say that casually. I've had to live this out. Stop living in what people have said against you. Stop living in what people have said about you. Stop living in what you've said about yourself. Why is it that we could speak 30 minutes or longer about everything that's against us? But we can't even speak three minutes about the glory of God that's in us. 
It has to change, church. And here's the reason why we, we look so much at what's against us and we can't consider the resplendent glory that's with us because we're too self-focused. If we look at us, we won't be enough. Before the service started, they were playing the song, I'm not enough unless he comes. That's true. But he is the coming one. He's the one who comes. He responds. But if we don't spend time in the presence of the king, we won't know what's available to us. And he's raising up Elijah's that know our weaknesses, but we get in the presence of God and we don't start thinking we're all that and get into pride and arrogance. No, we remember that we're nothing. Yet he still chose us and called us and said, it is my delight to make up the difference. I feel the presence of God right now. Stop living in what you have decided will always be against you and you will just manage it to the best of your ability. You have God's favor on your life, right? We hear it. We love the the rhythm of it, but we are the head and not the tail. He said that. Why did he say it? So that we could feel good about ourselves? I mean, I'm sure he's okay with that part too, but he told us that so that when we're in the minority, we can lift up our heads and boldly say, God's here. And you know how I know God's here? Because I'm here. And he's in me. And he's given me enough to overcome. I don't care what my mom and my grandma and her mom did. I don't care what you're a long li- you come from a long life of. Elijah was declaring who he was. You go tell Ahab Elijah's here. I, I, I've even thought about that would be a cool shirt, right? God's here because I'm here. He knew his time had come. Elijah revealed his position, daring the enemy to do something about it. If you go back and read the story, he really was daring the enemy. As God calls us out of our tolerance, we have to consider that he is a God who raises up Elijah's. Number two, he's a God who exposes Obadiah. He is exposing Obadiah's. What does that mean? Obadiahs are those who focus on their weaknesses and shortcomings. Obadiahs are those who have lived with Ahab and have never given him a reason to hate him. Obadiahs are those who live in the good enough. I've worshipped since a little boy. I hid the prophets in caves. But he feared Ahab more than he feared the Lord. Obadiahs are those who believe for others what they will not believe for themselves, right? Oh, Elijah, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go tell Ahab you're here, and then the Spirit of God who's with you is going to lead you someplace, and then I'm going to be dead, right? He believed it for Elijah, but he could not believe it for himself. It was all, for, for Obadiah, it was all profession, but no possession. Like, we have access to his power. I'm not saying this to get you worked up or inspired. It is the truth. Do you believe, ask yourself this question, do I believe that God can walk over to something that is dead and decomposing and speak to it and that dead thing will come up out of the ground and live again? Do you believe this? When you can remember when things were more pure or more simple or where you were more quick to obey, let God deal with your unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. I I have to worry. 
because God might be a liar. You're not trustworthy, God. I'm not sure that you won't let me go under. Obadiah said, don't tell the king. I don't want to stand so close to you, Elijah, that I have no plan B. Obadiahs are those who are satisfied to watch others do what they could be doing. Right? It's like when you talk about, man, if, okay, maybe that person can go with me. Like, it's, it's this idea of we, we, we look at what others are doing and we're not moved to step into that same power. Right? And in the American church, it, it is an epidemic where we herald people and look to them and are impressed with the power they carry. And the Lord is saying, you don't get it. I'm exposing the Obadiah in you. You can have access to whoever you admire in God. You have access to all of it. Stop being Obadiah. Stop letting Elijah be the only one that stands against opposition while you're hiding in the corner. We all have to take a stand. Obadiahs are willing to let the Elijahs die fighting their battles. Like Saul did with David before fighting Goliath. We've got to stop tolerating it in ourselves. As God calls us out of tolerance, we have to understand he raises up Elijahs. He exposes Obadiahs. Number three, lines are drawn. Lines are being drawn. Who is the only true God? We have to ask ourselves, who is God to me and who am I to him? I'm not asking you what you believe. I'm asking you what you live. And we have to ask this. The line is being drawn. Do I fully follow him? Do I wholeheartedly serve him? Do I absolutely trust him? Be careful what side you are on. Ephesians 5.10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. He's calling us out of tolerance. He's raising up Elijah's. He's exposing Obadiah's and lines are being drawn. Number four, we must prepare for the reality that sometimes hell goes first. I felt this so strong in praying for all of you. Have you ever had a season where hell goes first? Have you ever had a season where it felt like your righteous choices were not bringing you to the breakthrough that you thought it would? 850 priests creating a, def a deafening sound and all Elijah could hear was the still small voice. It's in that moment that we say, you know what, God's here because I'm here. But the, in the deafening sound of the enemy, we make that declaration and then we think, well, what am I going to do now? How do I feel now as the enemy's going first? And as we are called out of tolerance, you have to understand sometimes hell goes first. There are things happening in the church all across our nation where things are being let in and it feels like hell's winning. But the Lord has a church and he will have his church. And it's a people who will stand and say, hell may, might have gone first, but breakthrough is coming because I have the glory of God inside of me. As we're being called out of tolerance, we have to understand that the tide will turn. He will turn the tide. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The tide might turn on this side of eternity. The tide will absolutely turn when we see him face to face. In 1 Kings 21, Ahab sees a field that he wants to buy. I won't go into all the details of that, but it's right next to his palace. And the owner says, no, he can't have it. Ahab's more passive. Jezebel says, oh, you're going to have it. So Jezebel kills the owner of the field and, and steals the land. In 1 Kings 22, Ahab dies and Jezebel lives for 14 more years. Then we fast forward to 2 Kings 9. Remember, he turns the tide. So Jehu, the king of Israel, who is the son of Jezebel, asks, as, as he sees Jezebel approaching. No, Jehu, the king of Israel, approaches. Jezebel's son asks, Jehu, do you come in peace? Jehu answers, how can there be peace as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel is around? So I said that wrong. Jehu's the king of Israel, not, not the son of Jezebel. But as, as the son of Jezebel approaches Jehu, Jehu says, do you come in peace? And he says, how can there, how can there be peace? Jezebel's son says to Jehu, do you come in peace? Jezebel's, uh, Jehu says, how can there be peace as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel is around? How can we live in business as usual as we approach the time of the coming of the Lord and idolatry and witchcraft is abounding? That's the question. So as we progress in 2 Kings chapter 9, we have, we have Jehu approaching Jezebel's house. Jezebel's son says, do you come in peace? How can there be peace as long as she's alive? I'm going to fast forward to 2 Kings 9.33. Throw her down, Jehu says. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Oh, the tide will turn. I mentioned in the beginning of the message in Revelation chapter 1, we read of all the attributes of the Son of Man, Jesus, our conquering King. But to each of the churches, there are a couple of those attributes that are assigned to that church that applies to their situation. So to the church in Thyatira, the ones that are tolerating the Jezebel spirit, this is the, the, this is the revelation that the Lord wants Thyatira to look at. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He has eyes of fire. And these eyes of fire have two applications, and we choose which one we want. He will either impart the fire of his love to us or he will impart the fire of his judgment. Maybe that sounds harsh to you. The fire in his eyes will be imparted to us as his love or as his judgment. Why is that not harsh? Because his love and his judgment are the same thing. How can I say that? Because both are committed to removing anything that hinders our wholehearted love. That's why he can bring judgment. Because he is going to remove anything that hinders love. He has eyes of fire and feet like brass. Brass is a symbol of judgment against sin. And he's saying, I will trample over this area. As Jezebel, 14, living 14 years past that of her husband Ahab, is thrown out of the window. She falls to the ground and the horses trample 
over her and she is trampled underfoot. And Jesus is saying, I will turn the tide. I have feet of brass. I will not allow this spirit to continue and have victory. But, they, but we have the ability to stand and say, we look to you, the one who with eyes of fire, but who have feet of brass. Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He goes on to speak of two great rewards to the one who overcomes the spirit. You will rule the nation in partnership with me, and I will reveal the brightness of my glory like the morning star. These rewards have their fullness in the age to come, but they're rewards for you and I even now. We can have increased intimacy and increased authority in our ministries and our lives of this age, our ministries as moms and as dads, as sisters and brothers, as sons and daughters, as neighbors as friends. This is part of our ministry now, but we can't tolerate it in our own lives. And as he calls us out of the tolerance, he is exposing Elijah. He is raising up Elijah. He is exposing Obadiah. Right? He is drawing lines in the sand. He even though sometimes he lets hell go first, the tide will turn. I want to share one thing with you in closing. The worship team can go ahead and, and make their way back to the stage. But there was a dream that I had many years ago that, that troubled me. And, and as a matter of fact, I didn't share it with anyone for a long time. I, I, I finally, after a couple of years, shared it while ministering to a group of ladies that I was deeply connected with. And I, I actually gave one interpretation of the dream as I shared it with them that the Lord later corrected. But in the dream, I was in a restaurant. And it was a very crowded restaurant. There were people uh, waiting for tables. And I was at the front of the line. I was by myself. And the, the hostess uh, said, okay, your table's ready. And this woman steps up and says, do you mind if I sit at your table with you. And I said, well, I guess that'll be fine. So we're seated at this round table. I'm on one side. She's on the other. And as I look across the table, and this is in my dream, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, I can see there's visitors on board, like this evil in her eyes. And so I'm like, oh, boy. So I'm looking. And, and this is literally what happened in my dream. I, I, I started just looking at her and, and saying, Jesus. As I would say it, there'd be more activity. Jesus, Jesus. And all of a sudden, she throws up her hands, boom, like this. And I feel this force come against me. So then I put up my hands. And we're in this even match. Her hands are up, my hands are up. She's not winning, but I'm not winning either. And I wake up. So the first time I shared the dream. I said, it was to a group of ladies. I said, so ladies, we've got to get more power. I wasn't prepared. We've got to pray more. We, we, We just have to prepare ourselves more. It's not that I don't think those things are true. But then sometime after that, I just couldn't shake this dream. I knew there was more that the Lord wanted to say. So I called my friend Dawn, who's here 
Tonight she has a gift for interpreting dreams. Don't bring her dreams after this. This is for the illustration. But she has a gift for interpreting dreams, and, and there's a, a tremendous prophetic mantle in her life. And so I tell her the dream, and she's just smiling. That's what she does. That's how you know she has a, the interpretation. And I was like, so right? I, she overcame me because I, I, I need to go work on getting more power. And she said, no, no, no. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. She said, the problem was not that you didn't have enough power. The problem was that you invited her to your table. I, I, I want you to hear me tonight. Some of you need to uninvite some things and some people to your table. Because when you invite them to your table, you are giving them a seat of authority. Listen, it's not for me and not for you. It, let's stop looking at why we're disqualified and say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. Even when you raise me up as an Elijah, it's because I started to focus not on my weaknesses or on my shortcomings, but instead I said, God, I'm going to look at you, the one who is all power, the one who is more than enough, the one who has victory over generational curses and spirits that we've been operating under or with or that we have just tolerated. He said, you need to repent of her sin. Why does he say that? Because there's an agreement that we have allowed. There's been an invitation to the table, even if you didn't initiate. In my dream, I didn't initiate. She asked for permission, but I said, I guess it's okay. Right under that same spirit. And then we were equally matched. No, no, no. No more at our table. Right? I saw, I saw a desk chair wheeling up to a computer. No more at your table. No more as your kids sleep next door and you are indulging in things that you know will bring destruction. But the, Lord, but the enemy has you so convinced that you will never be free. And so you just said, well, one time when I was little and I hit those prophets that time, isn't that good? Oh, negative 12 minutes. Okay, good. Why am I just now seeing this? You just told them, you texted them and told them to put that up there. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, you're the best. You always know what to say. He said God kept me blinded because I was supposed to keep going. I know I'm taking you on an emotional roller coaster. That's intense. Then I make a joke. I don't know why I am the way I am. But the Lord is, is saying to you, do you want to be Elijah or do you want to be Obadiah? However the spirit manifests in your journey, in your life, I don't know, but I know it applies to more than just one or two. Because I know how intentional he was about me bringing this word when I was here, the last time I was here was a year ago, and here I come, overcoming the Jezebel spirit. But it is, it is for the place of victory, and it's not to torture you or make you feel bad about where you are in your journey. It's because he's saying, oh, if you'll just look at my glory and stop looking at you, you're going to lift your face and let me do my work. Oh, so Spirit of God, make yourself known to each one that is here even now. Come on, breathe him in. He's here. Breathe him in. And breathe all that junk out, all your own strivings, attitudes, thoughts. 
Listen, I'm doing that even now. I, you know, in the, the last part of this message, I got the details jumbled. and No, I breathe that out. Like the Lord has an agenda here. It's not about me, even though I'm the one that's had the honor of bringing this message tonight. No, it's about him. And it's about you. It's about him. And it's about you. So ask yourself, not what do I believe, but what do I live? Where's this place in my life? And what mixture have I let in? Hmm. I feel this right now by the Spirit of God, so I thought I would give the first call and then Dawn would come, but I believe this is what I need to put before you and and then we'll see what else he does. But there are people here, you have been strong. You are strong in your faith. But you have found yourself in recent days, not recent months, in recent days, having thoughts like, what if none of this is true? Come on, we're going to expose that right now. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet and expose that. That lie, and I know there's people here under this. I feel it. Like that questioning, the, the ways you've always, you've been strong. I'll say it this way you have been strong in things that you have stood for and believed for, and you have found yourself questioning, questioning it. I don't mean ever in your life, I mean in recent days. If that's you, I want you to join these others that have stood and let the Lord take care of that. I'm going to pray. I don't need it to be more people. I feel like there are one or two more if it's you. I I want you to stand and let God come and touch that. I've had this in recent days as well. Well, I'll have a a bizarre fitful night of sleep and trying to process things. And I'm like, man, what if none of this is true? Like, what if if we all drank the Kool-Aid? We're going to expose that lie right now because I believe it has to do with a spirit of Elijah that he has called you to. So if you have found yourself questioning and you need to join these that have stood, I I invite you to stand now as I pray. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for the veil to be removed. God, I pray that in any way that you haven't been seen rightly or where the enemy has brought a question, uh, even through really painful circumstances, where you begin to question God's goodness, if that's you, join these that have stood. You started to question the goodness of God. He wants to touch that. And by you standing, you're just, you're just confessing it so that he can change it. It's not, you're not standing saying, I'm going to change it. You're standing and confessing so that he can change it. So, Lord, I pray for these. I pray that you would wash them clean. I'm talking from the inside out. God, I pray that you would renew their minds even now. And I pray for a peace to come where there's been no peace. And Lord, I pray now for a spirit of repentance on all of us. Show us where we have tolerated those things. Where we have justified things. God, strengthen the mind of these that have stood and do your work like only you can. In 
Jesus' name. tonight. Thank you, Pastor Paul and Wendy, for inviting Terry's whole team to come. Um, as Terry was speaking, I just kept hearing food sacrifice to idols, food sacrifice to idols, food sacrifice to idols, and I know that the Lord in this day, he needs his church. He needs his church to arise. Peter wrote and said, you know, God's not slack concerning his promises as some consider slackness. You know, it's his mercy. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. Therefore, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holiness and godly reverence looking towards and hastening the day of his return? And I'm telling you, I can feel the battle up here. Didn't feel it sitting there. I feel it up here. And I'm telling you, the Lord needs a pure bride. He said the bride he's coming out back for is without spot or wrinkle. And this isn't some kind of religious spirit or legalism. Know this, I am a recipient of eternal grace. I am a recipient of a extraordinary sacrifice. And I'm so grateful to God. And it's not by me, it's by his spirit in me that any of us can walk a certain way and not walk in a way that we're accustomed to. But in the midst of that, as, as Terry was telling her dream and that woman be, sat at the table, I just saw faces. I mean, face after face after face after face after face. And I just really um, know that God's going after a specific thing tonight. And that is, that is this, because some of you have been chewing on something that you shouldn't be chewing on. And the idolatry has to do with man's opinion of you. And for some of you, it came as like great blows as a child, like just what your parents said about you or older siblings or kids at school or, you know, on the job or whatever else, or maybe pastors in the past or pastors in the present, who knows, or teachers or whatever, whatever the situation is. Like it's stuff that has fed you. Words have gone in and they have sunk deep and it has just altered the person that you are supposed to be in God. And it's not that you're lacking power. It's that you still let it sit at your table. You still listen to it. My father always said this. My mother said this. My brother said this about me. My pastor said this. About like, it's just this thing that's just there. And I'm telling you, I only knew it because sitting here, and Pastor Terry knows, the last six weeks, I feel like I got thrown into a windstorm because a couple of people who I've loved and labored with, loved and not loved, loved and labored with, just stuff. And I, my response was, I thought I had more money in the bank with you. I just thought I had more money in the bank with you. I didn't think missing a RSVP was going to do this. I'm sorry, but everyone knows I forget the RSVP, but I'm sorry. Well, you need to change that about you. Like just this thing, like, have I just thought I'm somebody I'm not? Like, it's just been a weird identity thing, but the Lord has brought me out and brought me into a broad place um, in the last seven days. He's brought me into a broad place again. But sitting here tonight, I'm like, no, the enemy, this spirit of Jezebel that could chase after Elijah defeated all the prophets of Baal could chase him back in a cave, terrify him, 
Next time I lay eyes on you, it's going to be the last breath you breathe. I will kill you. I will destroy you. Like that thing has such power. He just saw God show off and defeat 850 false prophets. And he wasted the last bit of water left in the kingdom on the sacrifice. They were in a drought for years. The king was looking for water for his animals, and he called for four pitchers that were as big as men and had them do it three times. Like, this is the accusation if God didn't show up was going to be massive, but God showed up, and God wants to show up tonight. So I'm not going to do this too much. If you know right now, and your heart might be beating out of your chest, you might just feel trembling, you might feel nauseous, sick to your stomach. But I'm telling you, there are words that have been spoken over you that have hindered your progression in the Lord because you've believed what somebody else said to you and you constantly feel overpowered by it at the table. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand in the air. Just real quickly. See you, I 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 see you. So right now, I'm just gonna guys, we're gonna do body ministry. So this is what it looks like. The people who raise their hands, I just want you to close your eyes and put both your hands up in the air. People who don't have both your hands up in the air, your job right now is to pray. Your job right now is to pray. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare over you right now, you were not an accident. I declare over you right now that God intended you and before you were even placed in your mother's womb, God knew you. And God whispered over you as he was pulling on pieces of blood and bone and marrow and veins. And he was saying, beautiful, extraordinary, anointed, appointed for my purposes, set apart, consecrated, holy. You were desired by the king of the universe. That's why you're here. Not by the intention of man or woman, but by the protection, provision, and intention of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls you lovely. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls you redeemed. He came to make propitiation for sins that none of us could cover. And let me just say this, all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. There's not one worthy, not a single one, but he is worthy. He's worthy to have you worship him unfettered by the voices of strangers. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every strange voice, Every voice of accusation, we command it to be silent now. I call you back to your heavenly Father now for you to hear the words that he whispers tenderly over your life. You are desired. I will cause all things to work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So now I release you from being called to the purposes of men or women or bosses or siblings or friends or even false shepherds that have been in your life before and I'm telling you now that your great merciful shepherd has come along on your path tonight to bring you by still waters and lay you down in green pastures and if you will allow him to prepare a table before you that only you and he share so right now tell those voices to leave tell them to leave just say you're not welcome and I'm not chewing on those words any longer I'm not meditating on the disgrace. I'm not contemplating the trials and the accusations. Instead, I'm listening to the voice of the one who has redeemed me, who has saved me and set me free. Oh God, you're so good. You are so good. Some of you have been afraid to step out. You have not even told your pastors 
what you feel are in, are in your heart. Like there are ministries throughout this room. There's a ministry to bikers. Some of you are feeling, you're feeling a, a, a ministry to kids to do a youth outreach program, but you just have said, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Based on your past. If that's you, if there's ministry in your heart, I just want you to stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Lord God. Lord God, thank you. Thank you. You said that we will all come to the full stature of the perfect man of Christ as we walk with you and habitate with your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I thank you that the job of the fivefold from apostle to teacher with pastor, evangelist, and prophet in between is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not a professional class and a non-professional class. We are all on God's harvest field coming together in order to bring something worthy of our King. So Lord, I'm asking now that you would initiate. I want to encourage all of you right now, if there's any way that the enemy is getting in through the culture we're currently in, just ask God right now. I'm telling you, it could be social media, most of television. My goodness, it can be fashion. I'm not, and I'm not attaching people to their sin if they've repented. But guys, when we have people who got their fame from making a pornographic sex video and having it distributed, and now we're lusting after their children's lines of clothing, something is wrong. I don't want your label on me. That might be the food sacrifice to idols. Seriously, consi consider the labels you wear and ask God. If someone else's name is putting a stamp on you, and this isn't a religious thing, this is a holy, you ask the Lord. If we're representing the world and want to look impressive for the world, or if we want to be impressive because we carry the spirit and anointing of the Holy One of Israel. So Lord, I'm just asking right now, we're going to ask him for conviction. It says it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. So I want his goodness to come in the room tonight. So let's just open our hands. It's his goodness. It's his goodness. It's his goodness. It's his kindness towards us. It's his great and abounding love towards us. So Lord, if there's anything that would cause the food that we're preparing to be corrupted, get that out of our kitchen now, God. Get it out, Lord. Expose it now. Lord, if we're more consumed about the likes on our Instagram than we are about what your countenance is responding to in response to our decisions in our life, God, something's wrong. So Lord, whatever needs to be cleared out, clear it out. But Lord, these that have ministry in their heart, would you allow the water of your spirit to come? Those around, just stretch out your hands. God, you said that to walk with you, we have to love mercy. So Lord, I pray a blessing on each of these standing first that they would love mercy in every form. Lord, I pray that those standing here with ministry in their heart, Lord, to be moved that Elijah was a man just like you. Deborah was a woman just like you. Huldah the prophetess was a woman just like you. Anna, who preached Christ in the temple from the time he was eight days old to all those seeking redemption in Jerusalem, a woman just like you. That they're all men and women just like us, but they believed in a greater way and abandoned themselves to the call of God on their lives. So I exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus to make yourself prepared. Dive into the word. Love mercy. Love him. 
And the word of God says in the book of, of John, the first, second, and third John, you cannot love a God who you can't see if you don't love people who you can see. So I pray that you would be extravagant in your love of people, loving and pursuing mercy, and ambassadors of that word of reconciliation. For God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, and we are ambassadors of that word to the world. Lord, I pray there be a boldness on each of them to go to their pastors, the pastors in their lives this week to say, this is what God has put on my heart. Can you show me how to walk in a way to bring his kingdom to life in my life? And Lord, as these move forward, I pray that you would keep them from every intimidation of the enemy. Lord, that you would keep us all from any immorality. Lord, let us check our windows and doors tonight in the spirit and as we walk to ensure that we regard as holy all that you regard as holy and that we would be those who would be unspotted from the world that would cause you to turn your face, move the timeline forward, and hasten your return. In Jesus' name, amen.